The Guardian. Hello and welcome to the second Guardian Ashes podcast, a show which is becoming as predictable as the end of a Shane Watson innings. We have a Guardian writer, a realistic yet disgruntled Australian, and a Jimmy Anderson fan who happens to be a woman. We're nothing if not consistent and a teeny bit patronising. Uh, we'll be discussing the death of this summer's Ashes after just two test matches, an Australian batting lineup which is as reliable as a Lance Armstrong beat sample, an England attack which is going through the motions like a knife through butter, and the coming of age of an angel-faced Yorkshire superstar. And on this royal day of all days, how wonderful to be joined by an Elizabeth, an Andrew and a Rise King Jared as well. Uh, Lizzie Ammon, better known as Legside Lizzie, MSN Sports Ashes reporter, Andy Bull from The Guardian and Jared Kimber of ESPN Crick Info. You're all very welcome. Um, Jared, I think I have to start with you, I'm afraid. Uh, reflections on the second test. It was all a bit anticlimactic, wasn't it? Uh, depends how you look at it. I mean, it was a lot of carnage there. That was fun, wasn't it? it was, you know, I think if you go out in Lords, there's just little chunks of Australian batsmen out there that you can uh, pick up and uh, scoop away. But uh, it was fun in a sort of macabre way. And uh, it, it is where Australian cricket is. So maybe they were a bit flattered in the first test. So uh, now they can't say that uh, the cult of Darren Lehman is going to save them anymore. Uh, unfortunately, you know, they need uh, real idols rather than false messiahs. OK, well, we'll move on to Darren Lehman uh, a little bit later. But uh, Lizzie, did you feel that way anticlimactic? One thing that was interesting was the Saturday ticket of the Lord's Test was the most sought-after sporting ticket on a, a day when the Tour de France was coming to a climax, the Open Golf as well, and yet it ended up being just a day of England grinding runs out, didn't it? Well, that's absolutely what they did, just grind and grind, and I guess there are two camps here, whether you want a close, hard-fought contest or whether you want, having had years of annihilation for the tables to be turned and I'm not quite sure what camp I'm in really. Well that's the sort of tightrope between being an England cricket fan and, and a cricket fan isn't it to a certain extent. Wh- which side do you fall on Andy? I know you have to be sternly neutral of course as, uh, as the Guardian's yeah, strictly man. Objective. But- strictly objective. Um, no I'm a cricket fan. I don't, I don't want to see one-sided thrashings. I don't find them particularly enjoyable to watch. Um, I'm a little bit disconcerted by the reaction to that test actually and the lack of respect being shown the Australian team. And, okay, they're not inviting much respect right now, but the reaction from a lot of the English press and ex-players and fans has been kind of hubristic to me. I'd rather celebrate when they've actually won the series. Yeah, I mean, it's possible, isn't it, to to chuck in a a shocking performance if you remember they got within 15 runs of winning the first Test match. Uh, Is that the case, though, or are we on a downward spiral? I mean, the general feeling is that Australia are going to get worse and worse and England are going to win without playing particularly well. I don't know if Australia are going to get worse and worse. I don't know if that's true. That's the great unknown right now, isn't it? I mean, how much worse can they actually get? And it's going to be a real uh, test of their character right now to see to see how much better they can get as well in the next game. But I, I just think a lack of respect in sport is always a dangerous and unhealthy thing. And the England players aren't showing it, we hope. you know, At, at least in their public utterances, they're being very careful to show respect. But the English cricket community is showing a lot of disrespect to the Australians right now. They're acting like Australians, I think, is what you're looking for. But this is, but this is the line that's continually thrown, isn't it? That when Australia had their foot on England's throat for, for many, many years, they didn't show any respect. So, so why should English cricket fans? I'm not suggesting that is the case, but that seems to be the feeling that's coming out that Andy sort of touched on as well. Well, there's, there's the both camps that Lizzie was talking about. There's the people who are like, I don't feel like comfortable with this. And then there are people like, well, they did it to us, it's OK. But it's amazing 
having lived here for about what four or five years now how different it is you know I expected to come over in England to be very neutral in their sporting coverage but I've just lived through Olympics and now I'm living through the ashes I'm basically seeing what I see in Australia which is people just trumpeting their own um, teams and completely laughing at the opposition Um, but I I disagree with Andy I think Australia deserve to be laughed at I think they deserve to be mocked and I can't see how they'll get better when one of their best bowlers has just gone home with a broken back so uh, it's not going well for them it's all a bit reactive though isn't it Lizzie I mean if Australia had won the opening test match which they very nearly did then the reaction in the English press goodness knows the second test might have been different and the reaction in the English press would have been very very different we'd have reverted to type quite quickly Uh, yeah and I'm as guilty as the next man of this but I I changed my tune I mean actually I don't think that Australia gave us good account of themselves as Lords as I think they probably are I don't think they were as awful as they were at Lords Um, but let's not forget Trent Bridge was saved by two tenth wicket partnerships I mean that's not it's not a, a way you can base it. It's not a strategy you can base victory on, is it? <laughs> it's not the best strategy <laughs> in the world, is it? And, I mean, in fact, uh, the only other time a team has come from 2-0 down in an Ashes series to win it, it, they did reverse the batting order. The Australians famously in a couple of test matches. So um, who knows? It, it, it may happen well, again, although I, I sense it's unlikely. Well, they've just lost their best batsman as well. I mean, James Pattinson is yeah. essentially their best batsman and best bowler. He's right? the one who looked most comfortable. Before, before we sort of move on and talk more generally, I, I wanted to ask you specifically about uh, the climax of the second test. Am I right in saying all three of you were in the in the press box uh, right at the end? Andy, were you, you uh, were there? I was at the Latitude Festival. You were at the Latitude Very good, very middle class. Nicely yeah, done. Um, uh, but I had uh, a little transistor radio. Yeah, there was an, an, an odd review. <laughs> of the Latitude Festival in one of the, one of the papers this morning suggesting it wasn't angry enough but, uh, <laughs> but anyway um, yeah there was a huge cheer either. huge cheer apparently and a biggest cheer anyone's ever heard in a cricket oh, press box was, when that final wicket was yes wicket but went. it was entirely selfish it was because mm. none of us wanted to come back the next day and do two balls yeah I mean it, there was, there was as, a, as someone who's not directly working on the Ashes as a journalist in the sense that you guys are I have to say there was something enticing about the idea of the whole TV crew the whole ground having to be set, the, ev- everything being set up potentially for a couple of balls the next day but Jared you guys didn't quite feel that way I probably wouldn't have come in the next day anyway I probably would have we've got so many people for Crick Info covering the match I probably would have just said yeah I've got some uh, other work to do I'll, I'll see you guys in the next test but it was look it, it was such a ridiculous thing and I know why they were doing it but if I was Darren Lehman I probably would have sent out a message saying look you guys are losing nothing by giving your wickets away here. We just want an extra day to plan for the next series. We want an extra day for someone to have a day off. We want an extra day for et cetera, et cetera. Instead, uh, what you had is, and, and this shows why Jimmy, Ann, uh, Jimmy Pattinson is such a potential great for Australia, because he refuses to let go. And when he went out, I mean, he looked like he'd lost the test match. And he had, but by 347 runs, not by a run. But you would have thought he'd lost it by a run. And that's why he is a phenomenal player. But it's also why he's basically bowled himself into you know a hospital bed at the moment so it it was I think it was it was sort of showed it showed two things a lot of people said oh look Australia's rubbish now look they're fighting for nothing but at the same time it shows they still fight they're just not very good and also a a strange moment in this uh in this series so far of odd umpiring decisions Dharma Sena was given the chance to give an LBW about six overs from the end that was that was umpire's call hitting the leg stump and didn't give it which showed them um, a certain kind of honesty given that everyone was trying to get the hell out of the ground and, uh, and go home I, I quite admired him for not giving that um Lizzie f- from an English perspective uh, we can talk all day and all night and the rest of the week about Australia but how well are England playing do you think well it's really hard to tell against this opposition it's really hard to gauge how good England are they are definitely not at their best I don't think they're at 2011 standards at all um it was mostly i mean mostly an adequate 
performance and, and good in patches. Um, I think uh, Stuart Broad bowled really well without much reward, uh, particularly that patch where he duffed up Michael Clark, and I don't know whether Michael Clark can't get out of the way because of his back or he just can't play short balls. Um, and uh, uh, I mean, Swan has bowled a lot better than that. I've watched him bowl a lot better than that and not get nine wickets in a match. Um, he had helpful patches of rough and uh, a helpful pitch. Um, uh, uh, but what was what was good was that we weren't reliant, over reliant on Jimmy Anderson um, because he was bowled into the ground at Trent Bridge, and that's a concern. Um, but there's a lot of fragility there. There's the top order fragility. The fielding wasn't by any means excellent. There were drop catches. There were some odd things. Um, I don't think Cook's captaincy was outstanding. I think it was efficient, and that's exactly what he does. It's sort of quietly and unsexy and efficient. And Andy, if you'd identified key players, particularly in the batting lineup at the start of the Ashes, we would all said Cook and Peterson. And yeah. uh, Peterson potentially maybe I think he's going to make it, but maybe out of the next Test match, neither he nor Cook have really fired. Though I mean, I know Peterson made a sensible sixty-seven or sixty-nine in the in the first Test match, but very very reliant on Bell, and, and in this Test match, uh, Ruth as well. On Bell. Be- Bell has kept them in both games, um, and you know, Matt Pryor, same goes for him. Jonathan Trott again, that strange dismissal in the first innings at Lords. Um, so there are vulnerabilities there, like Lizzie says. You've got the team was thirty for three in both innings. Um, it's a question whether Australia can put them under pressure, and to do that, they're going to have to get runs on the board, which is the one thing we don't know whether they can do. But it takes one player, it takes Michael Clark to make one hundred and fifty, which Michael Clark is easily capable of doing. And suddenly, we're going to see a very different kind of Test match because it's going to be how fragile are England? Can they withstand that kind of pressure? They probably can. But we don't know. We've got to find out. Yeah, there is that awful cliche of scoreboard pressure, isn't there, which we particularly use in in one-day cricket. But it's true as well in in Test cricket, Jared. And it will be interesting to see how England react to that, if indeed Australia can get into the position of putting them under pressure. Yeah, well, I mean, Michael Clark's back is clearly gone. The way he played Stuart Broad, I mean, I've never... The only time I've ever seen him play short pitch bowling that bad is when his back is playing up. At Trent Bridge, he spent most of his time stretching. He did a fair bit of stretching at Lords, and there was a ball that Broad bowled that just hit him in the head. So he's out. I mean, essentially, long innings, I would say, but it'd be very tough for him. He might have one in the whole series. Uh, Shane Watson's probably in the best form in the way that he's seeing the ball, but England have worked him out, like most teams in world cricket have, and his average is crashing because of it. Uh, Chris Rogers... He, I mean, he's sort of this old ginger hope for Australia, uh, but unfortunately can't really play Graham Swan. I'm just not sure the others are really up to it. I mean, there's talk of Matthew Wade playing in the next test, who's the backup wicketkeeper, um, and that sort of shows where they are as a team. I mean, you could easily put Jimmy Pattinson, uh, you know, keep him around with his bad back and um, bat him in the top order, and no one would notice that he wasn't a batsman. Yeah, well, going back to the reversing the batting order point, exactly. I suppose. Um, is there a chance of, of that change, do you think, of the backup keeper playing as a batter? He That's quite an admission of failure, isn't it? And maybe Faulkner as well. Yeah, I mean, if Faulkner comes in, uh, it'll be because what they're trying to do is just trying to blast through. Um, and, and Faulkner can bat. I wouldn't say he's a, a batsman, but he's probably slightly, at, at least as good as Bresnan, um, and maybe even he has potential to be better than Bresnan with a bat. Uh, but if, if Wade comes in, I mean, he averages 35 in Test cricket. There's a lot of guys in that top order at the moment who don't average that high. Uh, and Wade's a fighter and he's a scrapper. Um, and maybe that's what they need is just to go, 
And, and that's what happens on really bad tours. You end up with your reserve wicketkeeper playing as a batsman or, you know, Jimmy Faulkner batting at first drop, uh, you know, just for fun. These sorts of things happen. So Australia is not very far away from just thinking, well, what else have we got to lose? Yeah. Uh, remember Roger Tulchard, I think, played as a, as a batter, yeah. didn't he? As a wicket- he did a very good of, job, actually. A very good player of spin. I think it was yeah. on a tour of, uh, tour of India, wasn't it? But what do you make of the changing of the batting order ideas as well, Jared? Uh, the idea that Watson just can't open and, and has to drop down the order. Well, I've been saying it for a very long time. But then who does open? Well, I mean, they've, they've, the one thing that they have is they could bring back Eddie Cowan because what they did is they, they said to him, uh, we don't think you're an opener anymore. Uh, actually, we're not sure what you are. We're going to move you to first drop. He then spent the whole test vomiting in his hotel room and failed twice, and they dropped him from a position he'd never batted in before. They could always bring him back to open. Uh, Shane Watson, there's this myth that Shane Watson only scores runs when he opens. In fact, when he was brought back, he was in the best form of his life. No one had worked out he had this massive LBW floor, and he made runs. In the last year that he opened, before, before this reincarnation, I think he averaged something like 20 um, from, from a whole season. So, it, I mean, he's been worked out is his biggest problem. What he should do is bat at six and just come out and do what he does in T20 cricket and take LBW out the game because he hits a run over mid-wicket and, and long on all the time. At the moment, he's, he's basically just sitting there waiting to go out. So they have to just find a better way of using him because he can actually win Australia Test matches with a bat or with a ball. So dropping him from the team completely is a waste. But I just, I, I just don't believe that. And this is the thing when he kept saying, I want to open. I, I'll be better if I open. We've now saying that's just not true it just it doesn't work that way and what they do have is openers what they don't have is probably a really strong number six so why not put him there and just just say to him just go out and have a biff you could move phil hughes up too couldn't you would be the other alternative you could do lots of things with Phil Hughes. If you want to move him up, you can. But you can. I mean, that, that's what they've got. I mean, Warner's not even here, but Warner is technically still part of this squad, although on a different continent, uh, which says everything about Australia at the moment. But, I mean, they've got Warner, Cowan, Rogers, and Hughes. They have opening batsmen. I, I enjoyed as well uh, Warner's brother. Uh, Stephen and the tweets um, just showing that, that there is so much love for Shane Watson, uh, Lizzie, in parts of uh, the Australian side, isn't it? Did, did you enjoy as much as the rest of us did the uh, uh, the attempted sort of public reconciliations with Clark and Watson? The kind of it was almost awkward high fives and th- and things like that. It was it was almost painful to watch. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I, maybe I'm naive, but I don't think that. I think we're over egging this infighting. To be honest, I think they. Ju- I think they just. <laughs> This, they're just not very good, are they? I mean, like, you know, and when you're good, you can gloss over yeah, the true. fact that, that someone irritates you. But um, but we're not over-egging the infighting. That's definitely happening. I don't know if it's affecting the team or not, but the infighting is definitely <laughs> going on on a daily basis. I mean, you've got a, Shane Watson essentially campaigned for a year and a half to get the opening spot back, has come back and uh, hasn't done very well with it. I mean, he wanted this spot. He, he did everything he could. He alienated every teammate he could to get back to open the batting, and he hasn't made a 50 in his first four innings. So I don't understand why he isn't dropped. Because, I don't understand that because he... Because he's either, done his homework this either time. Either you deal why. with the fact that Shane Watson's a bit annoying, a bit like lots of other people in cricket, and, and just, you know, you deal with that, and, the fact, and, and, and he bats where he wants to bat, and that's the way it is. Or you just get rid of him. Yeah, I, I, have you seen the other batsmen we've got? I mean, well, I there, are, there are other people though, Jared, aren't there? And do you think that they should be brought in like Madison? I mean, he hasn't done enough in first-class cricket. I mean, Joe Burns probably is the next cab off the rank, but isn't really going to open the batting. They've got their best four opening batsmen essentially, other than maybe Sam Robson. 
um, <laughs> which they can't use at the moment. Uh, although I mean, this is the perfect time to go to Sam Robson and just go, look, you get the last three tests, do whatever you want. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, and you, and you do realise, Jared, to, to increase Australian options, you, you could now be just making up names uh, of people who are potential for, for, the, for the series well, down in Australia. Proper cricket nerds know about Sam Robson. He's Middlesex's opening batsman and he's never played Shield he cricket. He wants to play for England. Though. He does want to play for England, but he is a, an Australian. I think he's, uh, I think this is right, his father runs the indoor nets in for cricket New South Wales. So he's proper Australian in every way, except for the fact that he's trying to qualify for England. Uh, Chris Rogers says he's better than him. Uh, and uh, he's not playing for Australia at the moment. And he's a 24-year-old who makes... Uh, wait, is he, has he got his 1,000 runs yet, Lizzie? Not, yeah. not quite. He's not got quite. 900 and something. He's, he's, leading, he's leading the championship averages. And he's Australian. And you've seen the way that we're batting. I'm just saying. I mean, he's there. Um, and Joe Burns is, like I said, the other one. But other than that, I, there's no real young guns coming through. I mean, is Cattage an option? He's getting runs yeah, he's in Division it, 2. He, I, I don't think Cattage and Michael Clark will ever play in the same just, cricket team I again. just want to get you back, Jared, onto the infighting. We're not going to last forever on it. It's, it's going to turn into one of those sort of DRS discussions that could go on forever and ever, although I do want to touch on that. But is it as simple as... Um, I was interested when Lizzie was sort of laughing it off and you were very much nodding and saying, no, 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 it does go on, trust me. I mean, firstly, Sir Dale Brailsford has said today about the Wiggins Froome thing that, listen, great teams have infighting. That's how they, they generate energy and that's how they move forward. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. But is it as simple as it's painted that Watson is, for want of a better phrase, your Oka Aussie, and Clark is, again, for want of a better phrase, your metrosexual modern Aussie, <laughs> and they simply, that's the way it's painted, isn't it? They simply don't get on. Clark likes a facial. I think they're both. Watson potentially likes another kind of facial. I don't know. But, no, um, I think they're both like the same kind of facial. I th- they're both very metrosexual, really. Right. I mean, uh, Watson has this sort of veneer of being, uh, there was this great radio station where they said he's a man's man, and he's an, uh, but I mean, he spends more time in front of the mirror than probably any other Australian cricketer. He's had fake tans before. I mean, his hair looks like, you know, Prince out of Shrek. Like, he spends a lot. <laughs> I mean, he's not Dougie Bollinger, do you know what I mean? He's not David Boone. You, I mean, he is, other than the fact he's a bit buff, he's realistically, yeah, and he's probably only a bit buff because, you know, he's seen American Psycho and he, that's the sort of body he's looking for. But <laughs> he's he's definitely the sort of man that, he probably does all facials, but um, he's definitely that sort of man. So I think, no, I think the, the bigger problem is that Shane Watson wants to be an absolute legend. Michael Clark handles people uh, about as bad as a human being can handle people. And I think those two combinations of things are really annoying. Basically, when Ricky Ponting and Mike Hussey left the team, Watson and Clark became the two legends of that team. Now, one of those legends was dropping around telling everyone how great he was, missing training sessions, encouraging other people to miss training sessions, not even going to the physio all the time, not putting it and not even helping with research as a vice captain on how to beat your opposition. Uh, and the other one it has you know, no spine left and is working as hard as he can to, to basically carry the team on his shoulders. And I think he just went, why, why would I want to put up with this guy? And I, there's no doubt that Mickey Arthur and Michael Clark did not want Shane Watson in there but the other selectors kept saying well we've looked at everyone else uh, we still think he's our best option and that's where the friction came from they wanted to get rid of him they couldn't and they had to play with him and I've called him this a lot of times he's the really ordinary KP he doesn't win you any games but he causes all the problems in the dressing room that KP does. and for a generation of cricket fans brought up on Alan Border and David Boone and we could name a, a million others what did fans in Australia make of those sort of characters I mean it, would it be fair to say that Brad Haddon is maybe with someone like Pattinson as well, the only, oh, and of course, uh, Harris, the only 
Ocarozzi's uh, left in the team. Oh, I think Peter Siddle would probably of be... Of course even, even as a vegan, Peter Siddle probably still... Uh, v- vegan would make you suspicious though, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, Wade, there's, there's a very small uh, sort of uh, group of the old Australia. But Australia isn't what you probably think it is anymore. If you go back, it's probably the most middle-class society around in the world. Uh, there's rules on everything. You know, uh, there's uh, it's a rich country. I think it's the third richest country in the world per capita at the moment. Uh, it's ridiculously metrosexual, middle-class country. So the players that are coming through actually represent most of Australia, but they're still despised. And if they were performing well, they wouldn't be. When Michael Clark was a middle, you know, a metrosexual nonce uh, hanging around Bondi Beach and couldn't make a run, he was hated. He's now a god back in Australia because he made a bunch of runs. That's how quickly Australians will say, actually, he is one of us. I've forgotten. I've forgotten. Now he can bat. He's definitely one of us. And there's there's this whole, you know, difference. And I, I believe that there's probably a much bigger argument about the way that Australians play cricket and the way that Australians play sport. You only have to look at the, what they've done in the Olympics. We don't spend as much money on sport as, as we used to we're not it's not as uh, important to us as it used to be and i think that's why australia isn't as good as sport the, the, the dream of we're in a sunburnt country we'll just be okay because everyone's outside uh, you know playing sport doesn't really work now because we've got to get to you know the south yarra uh, nightclub and um sip cocktails with uh, with our girlfriend who's part french and you know part bolivian okay that well done i was trying to stereotype your country as Two million Ian Chapel uh, Australian cricket fans, and you've just <laughs> battered me with the idea of cocktails in South Yarra. Goodness me. Um, Andy, Darren Lehman, uh, the great saviour when Mickey Arthur was uh, yeah, relieved of his job. Yeah, this idea I don't know why this idea... It, it's just I hadn't even finished the question already. It's a nonsense. <laughs> He's a great saviour. I mean, any other sport... I, as you know, I, I write about all sports, not, not just cricket. Um, and any other sport you can choose, a team sacks its coach two weeks before one of the biggest tournaments it's going to be in, it's a farce. And everyone will come out and say, this team is in an absolute mess. What the hell are they doing? Because Darren Lehman is a well-liked guy and a well-respected guy, mainly by ex-players and people who have played with him, somehow this becomes a masterstroke by the Australian management. It's just not. I'm sorry, Darren Lehman may be the right guy, but no one can turn the team around in that amount of time. It's going to take him months to do it. And it will be interesting in the, the return series this winter, it'll be interesting to see actually what Lehman's team really looks like. And it may look very different to this team. I don't know. I don't know who, which kind of players he would like to bring in. But, yeah, the idea that he's going to wave a wand and everyone's going to feel great about playing for Australia again and everyone's sweetness and light is, is nonsense. Uh, would, would you go along with that, Lizzie? Yeah, I was sucked in a bit, I'll be honest, because I thought, yeah, that's genius, um, because at least they'll be having fun and they'll be relaxed. And, you know, I've never heard anyone say, yeah, I won that gold medal because I was ridiculously tense. You know, they, they but, you know... Beer and fags doesn't make up for a 347 run loss, does it? it but does. it's also not, all, I mean, I'm just going on very, you know, rumours here, but from what I've heard, it doesn't seem like everyone wants to go out every night and have drinks with the boys. Some players are different. And Darren Lehman, you basically have to buy in or not buy in. It's very hard to just so suddenly do of, that two weeks that's, before. That's Mickey Arthur. But a different Mickey Arthur. Thing. No, no, you, either exactly. buy, you either buy in or you don't. But that's and, just oh, and that's nonsense, a, isn't it? But also, I think the bigger question here, and what Andy was talking about, is the fact that uh, essentially in cricket, they have no idea what coaches are. And I'm talking about from players to administration to ex-players to the media. We don't treat coaches or managers the same way that you do in other sports. We, be, It's not really... Do we even need someone? I mean, this guy, he's nice and he's going to, you know, he's going to take him out for a beer and put his arm around them occasionally and pull their head in. That's all that's needed. Well, Andy Flower has spent five years getting his team to the point it is. You know, he has prepared every, you know, personality tests, you know, they're marked on the way that they walk to the toilets during a game, the English 
players, if you know what I mean. Uh, you can't compare that to someone just coming in for two weeks and get, who wasn't prepared at all for this series. He's got everyone else. He's got someone else's notes who coaches nothing like him. He just can't take over in that amount of time and change anything. Uh, Andy, it That's would right. be nice to think, though, wouldn't it? That I mean, everything Jared says, I get completely, and it makes for a successful side. But it would be nice to think you could still win and be successful with a sort of more off the cuff approach, without going laptop crazy, without analysing every single aspect of the game, without this homogeneity of approach that seems to be there now. Yeah, I'm not sure you can, to be honest. Unless you're an absurdly gifted player. I mean, Jared's been talking about how Shane Watson walks around with that kind of attitude. I want to be a legend, but he's not necessarily doing the work that you need to do to, 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 to achieve that. So I, I'm, I'm not sure that is possible anymore. I mean, Is that a bit sad? Yes, or is you it can just say fact? no. You, you can say it's a bit sad. Sure, if you like to take a romantic view of the game and think, well, you know, we all go out and play hard and have a beer afterwards and a fag. Um, but you know, that's the reality of it, isn't it? I mean, as Jared says, England's preparation could not be more meticulous. Um, and if you want to be better than England, you're going to have to be uh, paralleling that or surpassing it. Uh, and Lizzie, we've talked a lot about Australia and their frailties because that's what everyone's talked about, and that's the most obvious story from this Ashes series so far. You say that England aren't playing necessarily potential. They haven't had to, have they, no. so far? But how, how long, with the flower approach, can England keep progressing, do you think? I mean, is this going to be a, an England side that will just continue to dominate and dominate, or in 10 years' time, will this uh, situation be flipped and will we be talking about a dominant Australia over England once again? What do you think? Well, I think the structures are in place for a kind of a, a, a longevity of this approach because they are, I, I mean, as Andy says, they, there's, a, there's, a, there's a rank all the way through. You know, they, they don't like to pick players from outside of the system and I do wonder if sometimes maybe we miss some, some talent because they happen to be mid-30s and not haven't come through the Lions system. Um, and I do think that might have been the problem with Compton, is that it, they don't like picking from outside the, the yeah. system at all, because it's a sort of admission that, that maybe the system isn't completely perfect. But, um, I mean, the system is there and it's very good. And I guess what the thing that I always think with England is that it brings out the best in people who aren't necessarily the most naturally talented. I mean, look, Alistair Cook isn't the most naturally talented batsman ever, um, but he, he really has made... Yeah, but he most, has a talent for concentration. He really has made the most of his talent, and, and in a really impressive way. Um, I, I, and I guess that does mean that England are in a very good place for quite a long time. Let's talk about Angel Face himself, who can do no wrong apart from dropping a second innings catch. Um, Lizzie, I'll, get, I'll, I'll let you start on Joe Root. How good is he? What I'm very impressed with, and I've known Root since he was three, and what I'm very impressed with is that up until very recently he had quite a lot of technical problems, as you do when you're a 19-year-old batsman, um, which he's got rid of really quickly. He is a back foot player, but he drove really well off the front foot in this game. Um, he was driving much better than I've ever seen him. He's kind of learnt and quickly learnt how to get on the front foot. Um, he stopped doing as much of that whipping to mid-wicket, which was getting him out. When he was um, 19, 18, 19, and I first saw him at first-class cricket, he was playing very hard at the ball, which young batsmen do because they like to feel the bat on the ball, but nicking off quite a lot to slip because he was playing really hard at it. His hands are soft now. He's, he's just, I mean, that innings was spectacular. He timed it. He battled through the really difficult bits and then unleashed after tea, and, and it was very impressive for a 22-year-old. He should have been out when he was on eight, though. Yeah. It, I mean, that's the, the thing is, if, when, he, when he nicked that one to in between, well, 
wasn't in between the keeper and first slip. It was to the keeper or first slip, and neither of them went for it. The, um, another thing, including uh, Shane Watson, of course. But um, we'd probably be questioning him as an opener, wouldn't we? If that had been held as it should have been? Uh, well, I think people were anyway. He's 22. He's come into a very successful side. What is brilliant about him is the way that he can change his game for each individual moment. Uh, and that's what he did on this test. I mean, he's known as a, quite an attacking batsman. And yet, I mean, we were, anyone who was at that ground would not have seen, you know, that particular innings was not, you know, very attacking at all. There was several moments where I thought he was asleep while he was out there. Um, and so that's what's brilliant about him. Uh, he's not quite the finished article, and we're not sure what the finished article will be. But I think because of the way he plays, he's going to have peaks and troughs. Uh, but once he gets in, this is the most important thing about him. And I think this is what... This is what they noticed, because his first-class record is not phenomenal. It's not phenomenal the way that James Taylor's was. I think what, what they've seen in him in these personality tests is a bit like Cook. Once he gets in, you just can't get him out. And that's what happened. So the, those, he's going to fail as an opener, and you know he could have gone out for eight in this game. But once he gets in, he gets very big hundreds, and he gets frustrated when he goes out for anything near 100. Um, and that's, there's not a lot of cricketers in the world that do that anymore, because... Just because of the amount of T20 cricket and the different way that people play, um, generally now, you know, 100 is 100, that's fine. Whereas someone like Root, you know, 250 might be what he's looking to score. And Andy, is this someone who, uh, as one famous Lancastrian had written on his locker for different reasons, is this an FEC, do you think, Joe Root, a future England captain? Yeah, you'd, you'd say he probably would be, wouldn't he? Because we have that tendency to anoint people early. If they're he's already there. been partially anointed in parts, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah he's, he's captain the Lions, didn't he, in their game against New Zealand. But um, I think his personality, I'm not sure. I mean, Lizzie might have an idea because she knows him. But um, he's a little bit cheekier, a little bit more mischievous than people realise, I think. And the incident in the walkabout, yeah, Engl- England were being a bit sniffy, saying he was entirely blameless. Yeah, I think... Tim Bresnan once said that he's the kind of chap who you want to hit and sometimes you have to hold yourself back. And Bresnan meant that with a degree of affection, but there's also a degree of truth in that. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll see how he grows. You think if we, if we ask her nicely, she might tell us. So is, is, he is, is a nice feisty. He is feisty. Yeah, I mean, is you, feisty? Wouldn't, is you wouldn't sort of, get that. Is that a euphemistic feisty? I mean, how feisty is he? You wouldn't get that from his public interviews, um, but yeah. he seems to enjoy cricket and enjoy life a great deal. I, yeah, he—I mean, he's got a pretty nice life, hasn't he? He's got a really lovely girlfriend. He's opening the batting for England. He's just a—he's a pretty simple Sheffield guy. I mean, no, he's not—I'm not saying he's thick. He's just—he likes what he likes, and you know, and everything's going. He's got everything he wants. And he, I mean, his problem's going to be when he actually, for the first time in his life, works out what failure is. You know, I mean, Mike, it took Michael Clark about five years to overcome when he wasn't at the batting god that everyone said he was. You know, and it takes a while. And these people like Joe Root and even Alistair Cook had the same problem. They come through so young and they do so well and they've never, ever had... They've probably never had a girl break up with them. You know, they've never been dropped from a team. You know, they've never failed consistently in their life. You get to test cricket and he's going to play a tour in somewhere like Sri Lanka or India or South Africa and he's going to go out consistently the same way over and over again and suddenly we will find out exactly what Joe Root is. And for Cook, it, w- it was uh, that Pakistan series, wasn't it? And then he nearly wasn't going to go to the away ashes until mm. he got that 100 in that last game against Pakistan. And I guess that's the test, isn't it? And for Cook, he passed the test, he got that turn, 
and hasn't looked back since. Exactly. Um, and, it, and it, look, everyone has it. Ian Bell's had it about 34 times, but most batsmen have it once or twice. And he's either be, going to end up as one of the all-time greats for England or he's going to be that guy that was like, he made 180 at Lords. How did he end up averaging 32? Yeah, is he going to end up as an all-time great or is I he mean, going to end up as Tim Robinson, lot, you know? Quite a lot of failure at Yorkshire. His county championship record is really, really not good. Um, did but, he get dropped much? Uh, Even while he was b- batting bad for Yorkshire, he was being promoted to the Lions. Yeah, that's was, what I'm talking yeah. about. Is that actually could, because Ian Bell had that? It wasn't until Ian Bell was actually dropped from the team that he went, "Whoa, wait a minute, I, I'm not indestructible." And Michael Clark didn't make many runs for New South Wales either, but he still got promoted to Australia and still thought he was this amazing guy. And goodness me, when you look at the modern England batsmen, the way they're treated, how must Graham Hick and Mark Rampakash <laughs> and players like that look on with with absolute envy of the the consistent runs these guys get in the side? There's also this charming story. About Route, isn't there? That his bat still sponsored by um, a sort of local building yeah. firm, is it, or something like that? Yeah, and he's yeah, got this yeah. deal, and there's been lots of mischievous suggestions that Walkabout could maybe take over that sponsorship come the end of the series for uh, for Down Under. But I kind of like that, though. It's again an ordinary Sheffield lad and all that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, I mean, he is an ordinary Sheffield. He's helped. Uh, he's been helped a lot by the fact that the ex England captain was at the same club as him and has trumpeted him a lot yep. publicly on the radio and everywhere he can get hurt. Yeah, you know, that's, boycott, obviously. Yeah, and, and boycott and indeed Bumble. You know, that helps. That really helps if people are forever talking about you. And there are other batsmen in county cricket who nobody ever mentions. And, you know... Uh, uh, you know. Well, Chopra is a really good example of that. If Chopra had some sort of media bias behind him, he would have played for England mm-hmm. by now. And it happens everywhere. I mean, t- Tasmanian batsmen generally have to be actual Jesus to make the side, whereas, you know, other batsmen in the past from New South Wales and Victoria just sort of stride in, you know, and it happens everywhere. In Sri Lanka, you go to the right school, you play for Sri Lanka. That's how it works. Um, That's all been terribly uplifting, and we're going to look ahead to the next Test match of the rest of the series in a moment, but the opposite of terribly uplifting is DRS. Um, I don't want to spend long on it because I think everyone else does, and it's incredibly dull after a while, but it it is, though, isn't it? I'm Uh, um, really glad that's music to my ears. Yeah, but, but, you know, a a line from each of you, if if you like. Is it going to have to be reassessed at the end of this series? Is it it as problematic as people make out? It's not going to have to be reassessed. It just will be reassessed. I mean, it's it's an ongoing thing, and the ICC are trying to figure out how best to use it, how best to implement it. We already know that they're bringing in a trial for the next test where they're going to have their own access to the information coming through rather than relying on the TV producer to feed it through to them. So, you know, it's an ongoing, evolving thing. And the, the problem is, Lizzie, isn't it, the, the inexplicable ones? Um, you know, everyone makes a mistake once in a while, but overruling, for example, the Agar decision, in the, not that it was key, but overruling that decision in this test match, just, it just, I think just baffled everybody, didn't it? Well, yeah, it's just really odd. And um, I, I, I mean, the one that, that really irritated me was the trot decision because it was simple. If you don't have all the technology available to you, you can't make an off-pitch decision. You shove it back to the pitch. It's just, that's not difficult. Mm. I haven't got all the technology available to me. I'm going to have to shove it back to you on the pitch for you to make a decision. But I don't quite know how he couldn't just go, I can't do it. Sorry. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. The interesting thing about the trot one is how the, it, it still divides opinion amongst us cricket nerds because I, I still know a lot of people who don't think he hit it. I know that's not the point. I know that's not the point, and I, I totally yeah. agree with you, but I'm still not, I'm not as sure as Sir Ian that trot hit no that. No one's it ever was, as no. sure as Sir Ian. And Jared, DRS, are India going to end up winning? 
I mean, it's the it's, argument. I mean, essentially, what what you've got with DRS, and it's not talked about enough, is that well, DRS isn't. No, no, no. <laughs> the, the key issue with DRS isn't talked about. A, it was a, t- a bunch of TV gimmicks that the ICC never tested. B, the ICC don't pay for it; the TV companies do. So, if you go to a country that do- that doesn't have a ex- you know a massive rights deal, you don't have it at all. Uh, it was only tested recently. If this, if they really wanted to use this, what they should have done is the ICC should have gone out and used it in first class cricket for years, got er- all the kinks out of it. And, and then done it. We're basically we're still in beta, <laughs> and we have absolutely no idea how this system is going. And the truth is that the ICC, you know, don't run cricket. Obviously, the Australia, England, and Indian boards run cricket, and they're not they're not saying go off and get this right and come back. And so nothing's ever going to be fixed. The ICC don't have any power. They don't have any money that they can spend without being told off. Um, so they can't fix it. So it's just going to continue to bumble forward until occasionally, maybe it'll we'll get it right. Maybe by accident it'll be right, uh, which is basically the way that cricket is run. So uh, all the DRS is is basically showing you how cricket administration doesn't work. Jared Kimber there with his ICC hat on, uh, giving us all hope for the future of, uh, of our wonderful game. Now, looking ahead uh, for the rest of this summer, and specifically Old Trafford, let's get England out of the way first. Andy, changes, or is this going to be the spin-based, reverse-swing-based attack now that we're going to see for the rest of the series? Uh, obviously, presuming KP's fit, yeah, no be changes? The, be the same team. No you think changes. so, Lizzie, agree? Yeah, boringly. Yeah. Bresnan for the rest of the series? Oh, I, maybe, I don't know for the rest of the series, but definitely for Old Trafford. Yeah, yeah and uh, that would be the team that the Aussies would fear the most, would it? Uh, they'd rather not play Tremlett. I mean, if, if they can keep Tremlett out for the next eight tests, they'll at least have one thing to be happy about. You reckon? So that, that old sort of line about always do the thing the opposition want you to do the least, you would think Tremlett, Tremlett for Bresden would be... I don't think they like playing Preston particularly. I think they probably as Tremlet much as Broad. Yeah, as much as Broad's probably the better bowler in a lot of ways. I think Australia would much prefer to play Broad. I mean, as bad as they batted in this in this test, he only got one wicket. Um, and uh, I think that you know, if it came down to it, Finn and Broad are probably the two they'd much prefer to take on at the moment. Tremlet is look, he's a monster realistically, and you know, even when he's not on a good day, he could put the ball in an area that makes any batsman in the world uncomfortable, and uh, he's scary tall and. He's not the sort of bowler you want to face, and I think they would prefer not to play against him. And what about the Australian team moving forward to Old Trafford? What do you think is going to happen? Well, before Trent Bridge, they picked two guys that weren't in their squad to play in the test. And we're how many days out from the next test? I mean, you know, I could be playing for all I know. I mean, you think you've genuinely got a chance? Maybe batting at three. No, I, I think, look, I, I see myself as a seven yeah? and uh, okay. bowling a few overs. Look, I, I don't think my leg spin's particularly that much worse than uh, Steve Smith. I can get wickets with full tosses and half-trackers myself. Um, so I think I'm a chance. But I, I have no idea what they're going to do for the next test. I don't think they have any idea. Uh, they they would literally be in a bunker now, and I would assume it would be Inverarity, Lehman, and Clark, looking at a bunch of different people. You know when you go into in the crime shows and they've got all the different faces on the board? You're wearing a wire top. You know all about it. All the different faces. They've got all these different faces on the board a big picture of of uh, watson in the middle and all these tiny photos around with with little cords around it going i know there's 30 blokes here we could pick a random 11 and we'd still be as bad as we are right now yeah the aussies asking can they dismiss ian stringer bell uh, from the uh, the england middle <laughs> nice. order um but i mean that wasn't really an answer to my question I, i'll push you a little bit on that who do you think i mean it, it can't be as random as that surely you must have an idea 
Well, I don't know. Three but, changes, maybe? Is, is, well, I don't is know. the leg spinner going to come in and play? Is Lion going to play, do you think? Well, I mean, there's talk of Falwood Ahmed coming over, but he's not that's in. Crazy, he's isn't it? I mean, he's in one continent. <laughs> They've got David Warner in another continent. We're in the UK. I mean, yes, anyone could come over. I, I, I can't stress this enough that they have no idea what they're doing right at the moment. You really think that? Because that they were beaten so badly. They've just lost James Pattinson. So that, what, they have the option to completely restructure their team and go with James Faulkner, uh, who is sort of like a Jimmy Pattinson light in that he's, he's a hard worker who is very aggressive and gets in batsman's face but he's not quite as good as Pattinson and can bat a little bit better although maybe his technique isn't as good so they basically what they're looking at now is do we bring in Faulkner and do we just take you know and do we just run with it uh do we bring Warner back or he made six and eleven in his game or as Andy says do we do the crazy thing of bringing this Pakistani guy that's played a bunch of games for Victoria and just go well Agar's injured and we don't trust Nathan Lyon I mean they don't know right at this stage they, I don't think they'll know until probably two or three days out uh, they can't know because th- it's not like they've spent months preparing this what do you think they'll do for Hove Jared they think they'll try and play the 11 they want to play at Old Trafford without with- Harris and without well- Clark because of yeah, and without uh, perhaps Warner and Ahmed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say half Jackson, the 11 they want to play out in the country. Jack, yeah, the Jackson moment. Bird presumably is in with a shout. He is, but it's not, he's not really a like-for-like person. I mean, no. if they want someone who's aggressive, who will bowl all day until he basically breaks his back um, and who can bat a bit, it's better for them to bring Faulkner in. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Faulkner, I mean, Faulkner is a leading wicket-taker in Sheffieldshire cricket. I think at an international level he might struggle. But he's a, he's a quality player. So, But if they do that, they sort of have to restructure their whole side, which is why I'm saying they're looking at this big board going, we can do this 11, this 11, or this 11. Uh, has anyone checked if uh, everyone's got their visas correctly to come back to the UK? Andy, is there anything that Australia can do that will win them the third test and keep them in this series, do you think? Well, they, whatever they do about the batting, which is their, their key issue, because they have a plethora of fast bowlers they could bring in, um, they, they've got no one to introduce, have they? I mean, Jared's talked about Ed Cowan, and you know, it, you, you'd be struggling to say that Ed Cowan is necessarily going to make the side that much stronger. So it's about the batsmen they have in this country figuring out a way to score runs. And whether they're going to be capable of doing that, we don't know. It's going to be the really exciting thing about the next test. I think English fans have written them off a little too quickly. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, so you don't see 5-0? I think it's talking about a whitewash is insane. I mean, it just infuriates me. I, and I, I know why it happens, because it, it's English journalists looking for a, a good headline, and it is a good headline. But, you know, you've just won two games. There are three to go. Talking about a whitewash now is crazy. And do you think uh, that the second test... Regardless of injury, I know he's got a hip injury, is the end for Agar for now. Uh, this the great hope from the first test. And yeah. his career just, just temporarily will slide the same way as his great lookalike Adam Scott's did at the Open on, on Sunday. And we just put him to bed for a while. Yeah, yeah, I think... And I that's think probably the right so. thing, is it? Well, I think, yeah, the, from the way he bowled at Lords and, and a lot of the uh, Aussie legends were pretty clear about that. I was talking to Glenn McGrath yesterday um, and, yeah. Agar has to go. He wants Nathan Lyon back in, a leading wicket-taker over the last... Well, since he made his debut, actually, he's taken 76 wickets, which is the same as Peter Siddle. Very odd that they kick Nathan Lyon out like that. Yeah, I don't understand that. Do you know, Jared? Well, yeah. They're, they're, so Darren Lehman and uh, is basically chasing the next wide hope. It's what Australians do. And they were like, well, this kid is... I mean, uh, I think it was Justin Langer who said he's the most natural athlete he's ever seen in cricket. Like, he can do everything. 
you know, he could probably keep wicket, you know, <laughs> he could probably umpire. That's how good he is. And I think they saw that and they thought, well, we know what we're going to get from Lyon. We're going to get three to four wickets. He's not going to be able to bat. We've got a batting deficiency. Let's just throw this kid in and see what happens. The worst thing that could have possibly happened happened in that he made 98. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst thing that could have happened because it meant they, they couldn't really drop him for the next test. And it was quite clear his bowling isn't at the level that Lyons is. Uh, and now they've created this hero out of this kid who can't replicate it. And we've got two in Australia. We've got two teenagers who basically came in and were amazing on their debut who pre- won't be able to replicate it. I mean, Pat Cummins has been spent more time in hospital beds than most cancer patients, you know. But on his first test, he takes five wickets on debut against South Africa and wins a test for Australia with, uh, coming in with a tail. Um, and suddenly we're like, they're amazing. But they, they, they can't keep replicating it because the history of test cricket tells us anything. It's that there are very few teenagers do very well for the first five years that they make it. Um, you know, they disappear. And he's just not – and Agar's not even at the level of some of these other guys. I mean, I see what Lizzie was getting at with, with Nathan Lyon because, you know, he's 25. He's, he's not old, is he? And, and he was brought in like Agar was. Yeah. I mean, he was a groundsman. But there was, was just, this, sen- between yeah. but there was just this sense about the selection that, and the fact now that uh, – Farron Howard's being being linked as well. That that Lyon in some way has done something wrong that we don't know about. They're just that I think that's what Lizzie was getting I at as well. I think it's he's just, better than he's given credit for. But you just wonder if he's... there's a story because it seems illogical, doesn't it? Is there a story yeah, beyond the one that a, we know? You know? It seems strange. Oh, but it's Australian cricket. It's okay. all illogical at the moment. Yeah, well, they're, they're searching for magic, and Nathan Lyon's not magic. That, yeah. That's all you need to know about the, the Nathan Lyon story is he's not going to win them a test match, and they're like, we need to find someone who can. Farwood Ahmed, he's amazing. And he, look, I think Farwood Ahmed's an amazing bowler, but he's only spent, he, you know, it's been five years since he played regular first-class cricket. He's come back and played a handful of games for Victoria. He's bowled really well. It's not the same as bowling to Ian Bell and Alistair Cook. Yeah. Well, Dynamo and Paul Daniels to open the batting if they're searching for magic in the in the next test. Just to to, to round things off, there is this sort of I don't know exhalation, almost this kind of sadness about things. I know what your views are, Andy, about the, the potential for this whitewash. But has the, the the gloss just to wrap up gone off the ashes? Not just in our summer, but in the Australian summer to come as well. Uh, or, or will there be a genuine contest and a genuine challenge? Should we judge the rest of the series, Andy, on what happened in the first test or the second? I think you have to wait and see. And the, the irritating thing I find is that people are always in a rush to judge with test cricket. And it's not a game that's designed to be for quick judgments. Let's, let's wait and see what happens. England are 2-0 up. Sure, they're going to win this series, obviously. But there are three matches to play. Like I say, it takes one Australian player to make a good score. And we're going to see a very different kind of game. As for the series this winter, put that in isolation. It's going to be a completely different matter. May well be a completely different Australian team. And Lizzie? I think it's a real shame because this summer was crickets you know it was for cricket there was nothing else there's no football there's no you know this is our summer and it, uh, we will lose the casual fan they'll they'll very quickly go somewhere else yeah that's true there's not that buzz it's, around the country, there isn't you know, there isn't yeah. now following lords quite the same intensity i think and it's not long till the football season starts and i think we may just lose people which is you know purely selfishly for hits <laughs> You know, but, I w- want people to care about the ashes. But I guess that's the reality of sport, isn't it? Sport is what it is, and it can't be something people want it to be always. And that's what makes yeah, something like 2005 in, so extraordinary. I do think in cricket we fight. We have to fight much harder than some other sports because because the nature of Test cricket, you've got to really care to sit out five days, haven't you? And uh, what do you make of it, Jared? Uh, and I don't mean it in a snarky way at all, asking you as an Australian. But uh, is this whole two series of five matches each going to be alive at any point from now on? Do you think? Uh, maybe at the Gabba. 
<laughs> I, I mean, you know, I've been calling it the mega ashes for ages, and you know, I can you can see the faces of the administrators when they came up with this idea, rubbing their hands together, going, "This is awesome. We're going to make so much money. We're going to revolutionise cricket. We're going to get bring everyone back." And unfortunately for them, uh, the opposite maybe will happen because if Australia get to you know the Melbourne test eight or nine down uh, without having won a test and Andy's 100% right we can't guess but what we do know in professional sport is it's not like the old days where you know you win a couple of tests then you go out in the piss and then you lose a couple of tests generally uh, England unless they fall over they're not going to be able to lose a test unless there's some kind of magic and some of the magic just left so there is a chance that we will see a very very lopsided ashes from here and in whether it is you know eight two or eight nil or whatever it ends up being it's going to be very hard for australia to fight back and uh it will be it's slightly depressing for cricket but on the other hand um you know maybe it's a sort of wake-up call for the administrators of you can't just keep pushing these you can't just keep saying quick quick more 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 uh, sometimes less is more actually we haven't touched on that i know you want to wrap up but that press <laughs> release about the big bash that came out i mean that must have had you tearing your hair out it's it? the sort of thing that you expect i mean india did the exact same thing they would release press releases about the ipl when they'd lost the test it's almost like could you, could you explain what this is for people who don't necessarily know all right we've got a press release from cricket australia in what the day after the, the test finish yesterday in fact i'm losing track of time c- celebrating the big bash saying what a great success it was and how they were expanding it this summer and how it was making record profits and everything was uh, sweetness and light in australian cricket which is of which is not completely it's true not. anyway <laughs> it's not i mean they wanted it to be an ipl and at best it's a, i mean it's i don't know a third division football um league at this stage <laughs> but yeah i mean andy's right and and this is the problem they they they're so happy to trumpet themselves but no one's actually sat around and go you know we might have got this ashes wrong we might might have made a mistake here and the worst thing about australian cricket at the moment is that no one ever gets fired and unless you're actually coaching the side no one ever gets fired and the worst thing about english cricket is that it's run by a dictator so it's not exactly like as cricket as we can vote. six to finish with right here exactly nicely done um what i was going to say is that what a, a cricket team that's underperforming and administrators they're getting criticized australia truly is the new england which is uh, which is always great to hear listen thanks uh, for all of your time uh, thanks to uh, Lizzie Ammon, uh, MSN Sports Ashes reporter to Jared Kimber, uh, who's just sort of ke- keeps flying the flag, which I like from ESPN Cricket Info, and of course to Andy Bull uh, from The Guardian as well. We'll be back after the third test for more. And who knows, the series might be uh, poised at 2-1 and the Australians could be launching uh, a great comeback. Let's hope so for the sake of cricket and the sake of the Ashes. But for now, from The Guardian Ashes podcast, from me, Dave Farah, it's goodbye. Goodbye.